One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. So excited to have everybody along. And we've got a very topical uh, show today. I'm really excited about it. I first want to give a shout out. Um, You know, we did some really cool uh, things a couple of weeks ago. I'm getting a ton of social media love from you guys on that. Uh, We just wanted to have an honest conversation, got uh, some of my friends together and started one. Uh, But uh, I appreciate all the feedback I've been getting on that show and and love you guys for that. But let's jump into our guest today. Our our guest is an entrepreneur with over 20 years of business technology and management experience. And I'm I'm excited for the show because it's a blend of, of kind of my two paths, my two careers, which is technology and project management mixed with that, that entertainment uh, background that we've had. So this gentleman has started and exited several companies in that time. Some highlights include uh, the launch of uh, film festivals in, in multiple locations and creating the concept for a Maxim branded hotel in the Caribbean. And most recently, he's uh, led a platform and consultancy in the entertainment space with clients like AME Networks, AMC Networks, Screen Vision, MovieTickets.com. And he started something new called a Festival Pass. Uh, but before he started that, he was brought into MoviePass as an interim head of de- data. Let's bring him on, Ed Vincent. How you doing, Ed? Good, Rick. How are you? Doing fantastic. It's it's awesome just to – I feel like we've got similar backgrounds in the fact that if you're head of data, you're a database guy, you love analytics, you love metrics, all of those things. But blending that in the entertainment space has largely been difficult, hasn't it? It has. It has. So, so I've been in it for a while now, and – you know, depending upon what aspect you look at, the direct to the, the direct to consumer data um, uh, link has been difficult for many years. And started back in the TV days when uh, analog TV uh, displaced the ability to have direct consumer interaction. So the cable companies knew exactly who was there, but the TV companies did not. Wow. And so, and that's where Nielsen comes from and all those different rankings. And really that's, that's more algorithm driven than really knowing what people are watching. Is that fair? Yeah. The beauty of digital is you actually have a one-to-one relationship. Uh, All the Nielsen panels and all the other things you refer to was just a group of sample size of 10,000 people and they represented the entire country. That's incredible. Yeah. So with digital and Netflix and Hulu, all of those things coming aboard, you really know what people are tuning into, what, what they really like. And, and you can definitely see a turn towards programming. But you, start, you started this thing called Festival Pass. And, and wow, what a, a great time to, to be having a live music venue <laughs> thing. Nobody saw you know, COVID coming the way it has. But let's talk about, first of all, your idea, how you came up with it. And then we can talk about the impacts of, of what's occurring to, to the business. I know a lot of people out there are ready to to start hearing some of their favorite bands and get back out there on the, on the concert track. But let's first start with how you had the idea for Festival Pass. Sure, sure. So context is always king. Um, and uh, being an entrepreneur for over 20 years, um, I've, I've touched many different um, paths and businesses throughout my life that kind of culminated into why this happened. Um, so, you know, starting back in the early days of understanding e-commerce, I had an e-commerce company I built and sold. And then for about eight years, I had an agency that was an experiential agency. And during that time, 
um, you referenced a few things, but we were activating a lot of big brands at big major events. And, you know, it really drove my love for the community and the, the feeling people get when they're actually attending events. And it can be a music festival. We did a lot in the film festival world, um, the whole food and wine world. Uh, you know, you see people going to Comic Cons and all these other events that just bring communities together. And I really enjoyed that. Fast forward, you know, many years, I spent a lot more time in digital and the SaaS space and the data space. Uh, and then when I, when I was working at a movie pass as a, as their chief data officer, um, kind of the light bulb went off in how can you build a business model that is a data driven business model, um, in a way that engages people to do more of what they want to do, uh, and still find a way to do that profitably. Um, and when I, when I finally started looking at the live events business, it's a $200 billion a year business globally, uh, 20 times the size of, you know, the U.S. Uh, film box office. Um, so it's a massive industry and the fundamentals just made a lot of sense. Um, it's a very disparate industry with thousands upon thousands of players. And as an entrepreneur, when you look at businesses like that, that's, that's an ideal situation for a marketplace to emerge. That's what happened with Uber in the ride sharing space. That's what happened with Airbnb in the, um, uh, you know, renting out your, your room space. Um, those marketplaces really bring disparate uh, supply chains together with a consumer doing something in a more efficient, frictionless way. And so it's, it's interesting because, quite frankly, the music business itself has changed dramatically in the last 20 years with the, with the advent of technology to the point where there's really no money in the music anymore. All of the money really comes from touring. And so now that you know, we're, we're limiting tours, it's really uh, inhibiting the ability for a lot of these artists to generate the revenue that they're used to. So let's talk about uh, what's the structure of Festival Pass? Walk me through it. How do I, as a user or consumer, interact with it? And what do I get out of the platform? Sure, sure. So it's a, it's a subscription platform. Uh, you know, in other words to say is a membership. Um, so as a consumer, what happens is you sign up to be a member of Festival Pass and you can pay as little as $9 a month or as much as $99 a month. Uh, and when you commit to... Um, you know, we call it living in an experiential life, meaning you commit to the fact that you are going to go to events. Um, and we have thousands of different types of events on the platform. So it's not just going to a music concert. Um, when you can make that commitment, you get, a, you get credits. So if you're committing to $9 a month, you get a certain amount of credits. If you commit to $99 a month, you get a lot more credits. And the, credit, the per credit price is much cheaper the more you commit to. So then what happens is you can redeem those credits for many, any of the thousands of events that exist. I, I always liken it to, um, you know, for the, the older folks that might be listening to, when I say older, I mean, kind of kids of the 80s and 90s is arcades. You, when you go to an arcade uh, and you put $10 in the token machine, you get a bunch of tokens and the pinball machine might cost one token, but the really cool driving game might cost four. Um, using credits as a re or tokens is a great way to keep a, um, a budgeted monthly subscription price, but still enable people to choose how to spend that in whatever way they want to spend it. And so do they have the opportunity to choose their own seats or things of that sort, or is it, yeah. is it more? It depends, right? So in a, in a concert venue where there are seating, they, they will be able to choose their seats just like you would on any other ticketing platform. Um, in the, from the festival world, and, and we are um, all events, not just festivals, but just from a go-to-market brand perspective. Most festivals are general mission as, as they are anyway. 
And so then from a revenue perspective or back end perspective, you look at how many people are going to generate these credits and then go get the tickets yourself. You've got an inside. How does that, how does that, how do you ensure that you have enough tickets to satisfy the, the demand? Good question. So, so that's exactly how a marketplace works, right? So there are two sides to the marketplace. So we need to build the supply, which are the tickets, and then we need to build the demand, which are the consumers. Um, and without getting too technical or too deep into what, how marketplaces work, there's things that are root density versus global density. Um, so for example, can a marketplace exist just in a local environment? So if you're only in um, New York City and you have enough people that wanna to go to events, you obviously need enough events in New York City to satisfy those consumers. Um, so the answer is, is we're partnering with uh, hundreds of these providers of, of whether it's the venue themselves, whether it's the rights holder that owns the right to hold that event, or in some cases, we're aggregating uh, ticket inventory from other suppliers. Yeah, because the academics of, of that has even changed. I remember in the really early 90s, generally the first two or three rows were always reserved for friends and family. I mean, they, they, those were just free seats that you, you kind of gave and you know people always hit you up, but there would be certain people that would come through town and I'd have to take my phone off the hook because everybody wanted tickets, right? But, but they even got smart on that with this whole friends and family plan that they do where essentially they set aside, they're still good seats, but it's generally like the first two rows of the first deck to, to stage left or something of that sort. And they're, they're fixed price they're but they're still, you know, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, way below what most people pay. Uh, but you have to like send your, your buddy, the friend that you know has to send your name and you have to commit to four tickets and send cash and then you get your, your tickets. But I thought that was brilliant in the sense of how much revenue they were losing in those front rows right, to, yeah. to artist pass and management pass. So it, it, there's, there's tons of things I think that people don't think through when you're putting on, you know, a festival or an event or even trying to build a ticketing agency. So I think, yeah, I really want to start to, to dive into that stuff. But I think um, we're going to take a break at this moment, come back. I want to talk about what the impact has been on your business and, and how you see us coming through COVID and where you, th where, like, what are some of the indicators you're catching, whether it be data or just the market itself, sure. and uh, get into that portion, and then I, I just want to hear a lot more about Festival Pass. So we're going to take a break right here. You're listening to Rick Morris. I'm interviewing Ed Vincent. We'll be right back on the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end -end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. 
PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back on the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon. We're interviewing Ed Vincent. Ed has founded uh, Festival Pass, and we'll be talking through uh, that piece. So, Ed, let, let's let's get the the... The big elephant, as you said, the big elephant in the room, as you were saying when we were just talking, uh, COVID, right? Life is changing dramatically at this point with COVID and life is going to be different at some point with social distancing, but, you know, filling these arenas the way we used to, right? Packing people in in the standing room or even festivals, you look at Bonnaroo or some of these others, um, how has that impacted the business and, and what do you see us or how do you see us starting to come out of that? Sure, sure. So, so you're right. Um, obviously, nobody anticipated COVID to be as impactful as it has been, and, and as um, uh, you know, challenging for everybody, for every industry, but especially in the live events industry, you know, it really just came to a halt. So, the the interesting thing is that it is changing a lot of what live events are, um, and when I say changing it, it's there'll be a short term kind of world of how we come back and how we slowly come back. And there'll be, you know, the, the path to what happens in a year from now. Uh, and can you go to a, a 70,000 person show in a big arena? Um, so so what, uh, what I am seeing is that um, people are being very innovative. Um, and one of the things that, you know, just to kind of reiterate from some of the things we said earlier is I believe that, um, live events will come back and they'll come back very strong and they'll probably even come back more strongly than the, they were prior to COVID um, because there's this, there's this connection that everybody has been missing over, over the time of COVID and the, the realization that community is super important. Um, so so I, don't, I don't know if you want to ask a little more about. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think it's a good point. Live music to me is, uh, it, it's an end all be all. I mean, I love the live experience. I, I have several artist friends that I feel like, you know, I, I listen to their music on Spotify. It's great. But when I hear them live, it's just spectacular. You know, it's just it, such a seeing people like at Red Rocks or, you know, some of these venues that are just incredible. Um, but uh, I, I agree with the pent up demand as well. But then I feel like everybody's going to, there's going to be a lot more fear. And so what are some of those innovative ways that you've seen where people are starting to try to come back at the moment to do that stopgap before we get back to 2021? Yeah, so, so I think it's two things, right? Um, outdoor uh, is, is the first, right? So anything that is not inside an arena, um, I think has given consumers some level of confidence that um, as long as they're socially distanced in an outdoor environment, that's going to be the first phase. We're seeing that now with um, some of the big, 
groups putting on drive-in concerts. Um, you know, who, who would have ever thought the drive-in movie would be the most popular, you know, thing going on after it's been phased out over decades. We had one just go out of business just prior to COVID. Wow. And you want to talk about just missing the boat, right? Because everybody's dying to go to the theaters. But so how does the drive-in, I've heard the drive-in concert, we talked about Garth Brooks and I've heard several others um, announcing these tours. How does that work? Do you have any insight in that? Yeah, so, so on, the, on the big tours, uh, the ones that are really driven by the live nations of the world, um, what they're doing is they're taking some of the arenas that um, they typically would use the inside of the arena for the concert. Uh, and what they're doing is they're repurposing the parking lot. Um, so they're putting a large stage outside, they're putting large screens up, and they're using the parking lot in, in itself to manage rows of cars. Uh, and then even in some circumstances, um, they're creating pretty interesting experiences. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think Hard Rock's down in Miami, uh, the Hard Rock the Arena is doing this, where not only can some VIPs drive in their car, but then they set up a couch and a table outside of your car in the spot that you're in, socially distanced from everybody else, so you actually have a comfortable setting to actually be, be able to watch the show. That's interesting. I'd have to see one to, to, to come through. But I think also with the advent of technology, like there were some really cool things starting to happen in terms of fan interaction. A couple of things that came to mind, um, there was an Avatar show that went around that actually utilized everybody's cell phones to do lighting and special effects. So when you got into the show, you logged onto the app, you put your seat number and then it would tell you to hold your phone up and they were doing all background lighting. Very, very cool. Yeah. Saw a lot with the wristbands too and the colors, um, you know, being able to, to control that within the arena. What, what is some of that other emerging technology that you're seeing that, that just really is driving that customer experience or, or listener experience? Yeah, so there's, there's two levels. One is the, the pivot a lot of people made to live streaming, um, which in my opinion is a great um, complementary aspect to the um to live entertainment so you know obviously during covid a lot of big artists didn't have the capacity to tour or to be engaged with their fans so in order to keep that engagement you know they were streaming live from their living room sometimes on instagram live facebook live twitch um, but the hard part with those scenarios is there's not really a long-term business model it's it's difficult to make money doing that um, and i'm already seeing some fatigue in that um, you know, if people are on their computers for after their eighth Zoom meeting of the day, the last thing they want to do is log on at night and watch a live stream concert. Um, not to say there's not a place for that, because I think once we normalize, uh, you know, in, in the next six to 12 months, um, it will be a great complimentary aspect. I think people will want to see a live stream of a show at Red Rocks when they just can't make it. Why not spend five, 10, $20 to see something that might cost a hundred live? Right. And, and you, I, I have a condition now I call Zoom ears, right? Because I, I wear these big headphones so I can hear everything properly. By the end of the day, they're just, they like stick to my ears. But um, with that being said, the the streaming point, like I, I've seen platforms like Stageit come out, which, you know, we, we utilize. So we were recording a, a, a album, a group called The Party that, that I own was recording an album. And we used to sell access to backstage of that. So essentially do a 30 minute live show, whoever tipped the most got to spend another 30 minutes with the artist while we were in the recording studio playing music that's never been heard before. So I think the access to these artists have, have grown so much. So I'm interested to see how they start to try to blend those two experiences, especially if 
there's only so many drive-in concerts you can do. Like I, I can imagine some complaints coming around from outside businesses and things like that when they, when they set these things up. Cause a lot of times you got hotels and all this other stuff surrounding um, that may not like having that live concert outside right? or it may not be a group that they want to listen to. Sure. No, agreed. And I just think it's an evolution, right? So it's a, it's something that is happening and I'm glad it is because it means the industry is putting people back to work. It's, it's fans are, being able to re-engage. And what I have also heard um, with a lot of our relationships is um, a lot of artists, call them kind of mid-tier artists that might traditionally play a 20, 30, 40,000 um, person arena um, less times during the year, they're just going to have to tour more. They're gonna have to do multiple 5,000 person um, arenas, some maybe outdoor amphitheaters, um, but they're already being prepared that their, their business model is changing and they might, the artists themselves might have to just do more shows with less people. So it'll be interesting the, what we see evolve out of that. The, some of the things that we take as standard now. So uh, I, I was actually talking to a dear friend of mine today and they were saying that somebody, somebody was sending a bunch of documents on CD and she was like, CD. She's like, my, my computer doesn't even have a CD player anymore. Right. But that just what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago for us, that was like this evolution of music. And it, it's just amazing to watch how we continue to do that. So I'm interested to see then what you're seeing or what you think is going to happen on the festival side. Like, I mean, part of the festivals is that fan experience of being smushed together, camping out at the same place, having four or five days of, of just, you know, hanging out with each other. How do you see that changing? Yeah, so there's a couple of things. Um, one, the smaller ones will come back first. Um, you know, I already know for a fact there's numerous festivals still planned to go off in September, October. Um, mostly in states, you know, we'll, we'll see if the uh, new information of the day uh, in terms of some resurgence uh, of Corona in the southern states, but uh, I know there's been a few um, scheduled to go in Texas and Can uh, Kansas City and a bunch of others. Um, but most of those are 10 to 20,000 person outdoor shows. Um, and I think the idea really is just to create more social distancing opportunities. Um, but those will be the first ones that come back. Um, and then call me an eternal optimist or an entrepreneur. Usually, uh, it's it's one in the it's same. Both. Yeah. <laughs> One and the same, it's part disease in itself. But, um, but I just have faith in the fact that um, as we turn, turn the corner into 2021, we will have some form of additional um, therapeutics and treatment. We'll be on the verge of a, of a, uh, of a um, uh, what am I missing? Vaccine or cure. Or so, yeah. We'll be on, on the verge of a vaccine. And, and most of it ends up being some consumer confidence, right? So when people feel more comfortable about going out, knowing that there's a vaccine around the corner, knowing that there are some therapeutics, I believe um, that confidence will lead to more and more uh, things coming back online. Yeah. And so a large part of my revenue stream being an entrepreneur is being a professional speaker. And so, you know, I saw a dramatic decrease in, in revenue, obviously, as, as several, but I was booked out, you know, really for the rest of the year and all those went away. And so it's the, and some of those are, you know, 2000, 3000 person events. And some of those are, you know, 50 people events in, but I'm, I'm waiting to see that confidence return. What's been the attrition rate then on your platform because of that is you see a lot of people kind of being more cautious with joining festival pass, or is there enough opportunity there that to really satisfy? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So, so obviously um, when there are no events happening, there is, um, we're not signing up as many people from a paid subscription perspective. However, 
um, what we have and something that we, you know, want people to understand is that uh, our credits, when you sign up and you get credits, you bank those. So they don't, they don't go away from month to month. So if you have a plan that gets you 18 credits a month, um, if you don't go in one month, the next month you have double the amount. So uh, I, I, was, I likened it to say that um, because signing up gets you the ability to use your credits to attend future events at a lower cost than if you were to buy the ticket, um, it's a good investment. Signing up for Festival Pass actually will earn you more than if you put that money in the bank. That's an interesting. So, do I have to be a paid member though to use credit? So, let's say I have two hundred credits banked, but I want to cancel the subscription. Those two hundred then go away. That's the point that they that they leave. Yeah, but what, what we what we do is we have the ability to um, people can go on hiatus for a little while, um, and we allow them to move down to a lower tier. So, for example, currently the way it works now is for nine dollars a month you get six credits, and for ninety nine dollars a month you get a hundred credits. Um, as long as somebody continues to be a paying member, so you only have to be a $9 a month member, you'll, you'll maintain all your credits. We, we likely will in the near future even have a lower tier, which is um, kind of a maintenance tier, which you'll get zero credits a month, but you'll pay a couple dollars a month just to maintain. To extend the credits, yeah. Especially, especially with things are going on. So how many events, we got about two minutes to break, but how many events right now are on the platform? Just interested. Yeah, so... so a lot of those events aren't happening, um, but we have listings of thousands upon thousands of events. So eight to 10,000 events are listed on our platform. Uh, a couple thousand of those are partners of ours uh, through some sources, whether the direct or ticket aggregators or other. Um, but because a lot of them didn't happen, um, they'll happen again next year or they'll happen again once they postpone and, and go live. So any consumer will have access to thousands of events. How many of them do you see going off in the next month, would you say? Um, not that many. We've been beginning to bring in some more virtual events just because of the simple fact that, uh, you know, events actually aren't happening. Um, but yeah, in the next month, not that many are physical live events. Um, but as I was saying earlier, um, I see a lot of that changing as August, September, October comes. Uh, I already see a lot of events booked that are planning to go live in September, October. And so as we, let's talk about the, the app itself though. It's, it's basically everything's virtual on an app. There's no person to person contact or anything like that whatsoever to be able to engage with the platform. Is that true? That's correct. Yes. Okay. And so is that, tell me really quickly that the difference between like a StubHub, right? So StubHub is the repurchase of a ticket, right? Yep. Yeah. So, so, you look at ticketing in this way, there's primary ticketing, use Ticketmaster as an example, there's many other ticketing firms, and then StubHub is a secondary market. So on the primary market, um, you know, what we're building is a, a frictionless way to attend events at a better value um, and not be stuck with ticketing fees. So, you know, uh, I'm not, not putting down Ticketmaster in any way, they're an amazing company owned by Live Nation, I think it's great, but how many consumers do you know that went and spent $100 on a ticket and was super happy to get dang 20 bucks on the way out uh, right. for a ticket. So, so what we do is by pre-committing to that base and giving us the insight to subscription revenue going forward, so we have insight to certainty of recurring revenue, we're able to eliminate that ticketing fee and take that against our margin. Oh, that's interesting. We're going to take a pause right there. We'll come right back. We're talking with Ed Vincent. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. At 
with the work-life balance. We like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution that was built with resource planning in mind? We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon, talking with Ed Vincent, who founded Festival Pass. And and Ed, I want to dedicate this segment to the technology geeks out there like myself, and I think you are as well. Um, I love to kind of get into to some of the infrastructure and things. So we have a lot of people online um, and, and there's this boom now of online products and everybody going to subscription, right? And, and in fact, there's a whole industry, Tony Robbins, Russell Brunson, those guys have started this whole industry of, you know, you yourself can be a digital CEO and you know, all, all these different things. Um, so a lot of people are starting to understand what the cost of an acquisition of a customer is, where the advertising goes, what click-through rates are, all of those different things. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of people get better educated. So uh, walk me through some of yours, though. How are you acquiring customers right now? How are you advertising? Sure, sure. So um, we have different media partners that are in our network that are investors as well as just pure media partners. Um, I think I was mentioning a little bit is um, one of the largest radio networks in the country, third largest called Town Square Media is a partner. And, you know, we have millions of dollars of media across their portfolio of media sites um, that we've been leveraging to, to push uh, consumers or make consumers aware of the site. Um, you know, back to flip back to the COVID thing for, for one moment is just on April 1 is when we were going to go heavy on ad spend 
related to kind of the spring season of live events. And, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of dollars a month uh, planned out to spend to drive consumers to our site, but we obviously pared that back. So it's kind of a silver lining in, in a lot of um, entrepreneurial worlds is as a data guy and an infrastructure guy, uh, I've been given kind of the opportunity now to, to set up the infrastructure correctly for scale. Um, and as a data guy, I, I really want to see every single um, uh, click, every single impression and what that turns into from a click and from a click to a free sign up and from a free sign up to a paid sign up. That sales funnel is super important to me uh, and, and having a little bit of time, you know, so we've been spending tens of thousands instead of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last couple of months getting it right. I, I think you brought up something really interesting and in, in, I, I think it's that entrepreneurial spirit, but I always felt, you know, everyone was kind of saying, I don't know what to do with COVID. A lot of people that, that work for other companies or work for, you know, a, a boss essentially, but this was like the time this it, there's as an entrepreneur, there's so many things that we put off because we don't have time. And it was like, hello time. It's like all of a sudden you actually put a pause where I won't get in trouble because sales are dropping where I can really focus on the back end infrastructure. So you felt like you take great advantage of that time. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. And part of it is uh, putting those analytics and infrastructure in place so that when we flip back to spending hundreds of thousands of dollars every month, we know exactly how to track it. We know exactly where to move the needles and, and, the, and, and the dials. Um, but also just on the pure infrastructure of the site itself and collecting data and building a recommendation engine and all building out partner dashboards so all of our festival and event partners have a place to log into and see what their consumers look like. So blending your experience, you know, you said in your bio that you built some data platforms and consultancy, like with A&E networks, AMC networks. What were some of those key lessons that you picked up from your time there that you're applying at Festival Pass? That could be a show in, in, in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, uh, I'll try and uh, give the, the, the high level. So, um, there is a lot to understand, especially digitally, about consumers and how they interact. So a couple of the key takeaways and the things we're building from day one is the reason why we are an app uh, and the reason why a mobile app is the way that people um, will be able to show their ticket when they go to an event that gets scanned is everybody, uh, we have a one-to-one -one relationship with the consumer. So everybody that downloads the app, we have their email. Everybody that uses that uh, goes, we're able to actually know who they are and build a profile about them. Um, so we have a deterministic one-to-one -one relationship with each consumer. So when they actually do things, we can then predict um, uh, other things that they might like to do. We talked about it, I think, earlier with Netflix. Um, you know, we're effectively building the the Netflix of live events in that capacity where once you're on the platform and going and seeing things, the art of discovery is so fun, right? So uh, when you're logged into Festival Pass, you're immediately going to see, or currently today, you see what are the festivals that are near you? What are the uh, festivals in the genre that you've already said or self-selected to say that you like to do? Um, and then what are the festivals or events that we recommend you might like because we know other people like you happen to like them as well. And that certainly can be, become something from a data perspective that you could market to not only grow, it would grow Festival Pass, but market that of, of why people should join Festival Pass is that you can direct 
people that are going to like that, right? It's, it's analytics on both sides. It, it is. And, uh, you know, we also have a partnership with another data company. And again, I don't want to get too granular, uh, but a few tech geeks uh, appreciate it is there was a, um, a data management platform that sold the Salesforce for $800 million a few years back. And that same team, the band got back together uh, and they created a new platform, which they call a data operating system that we've overlaid onto our platform. And what it enables us to do is whenever somebody comes onto our site, whether they've logged in with an email or just even kind of, um, you know, traditionally the cookie based world, um, we're able to kind of look at who that visitor is and then look across a data graph of 200 million, 250 million U.S. consumers and get more insights about the type of person they are. I think that's what most people didn't understand by social media platforms like Facebook. And they, they get mad now. It's like, but you've, you've, I mean, you put your kids on there. You've told them everything you like when you like something that goes, you know, that's a data point. Um, and it is crazy now to me. A, a friend of mine just made this post, but yeah, you know, I could be talking on the phone to a friend, go to Facebook and, and, you know, all of a sudden there's an ad for something where I was talking about like horse farms in Chattanooga. Like I, I've never owned a horse farm nor, you know, I lived in Chattanooga at one point, but literally it was showing me an advertisement for real estate of horse farms in Chattanooga. And I was like, now that's, that's incredible, right? But that's the point of data mining and data learning and, and the organizations and advertisers that are very, very good at, at understanding what that consumer wants then drives behavior, right? They, they don't want to think. They just want to click a button and say, yep, that's perfect. That's exactly what I thought I wanted to do, right? Correct. And, and I think it becomes a larger discussion on privacy versus non-privacy. But at the end of the day, if you're a, a good caretaker of the data that is entrusted in you and you provide a better experience from it and you're not just out you know selling it off to the highest bidder um you can build trust in your consumer base and the relationship and um you know for us it's really just about making the experience better for the consumer and making um the experience you know easier to manage for the partners that's that's interesting so where do you see the future of Fest uh, festival pass going what what's what's the the five-year vision you see Sure. So we want to, uh, you know, have uh, millions of, of uh, subscribers here in the U.S. And um, because it is a, a root density and global density marketplace, um, it's relatively easy to open in, in other countries. So we're, we're looking at Europe and Australia and Latin America um, because you can replicate that ecosystem with the same technology and the same infrastructure. And it doesn't have to, you know, rely on U.S. consumers to drive a, a European market. Um, so that's one. The other is, is we're building out a, um, a, an advertising mechanism. So the same way you think of Google, um, there's, there's so, many, so many analogies I can give. But, you know, when, when you're on Google or you're buying AdWords for Google, you end up uh, buying a slot that is above an organic search. Um, so a lot of our partners, there'll be thousands of partners. And there's a couple of things. Of course, they want to increase the ability for our consumers to want to go to their events but they also want to learn about, um, you know, who, what other consumers might directly go buy a one-off ticket, right? Because we're, we're a membership program, so you can only get the price that we offer through our credits if you're a member. Um, but they also sometimes want to sell one-off tickets. So because we'll have so much data, we'll enable them right in the partner dashboard um, to, to use our data for free to then go buy advertising across other platforms um, whether it's social platforms, but more likely platforms like radio networks. Um, you know, we're talking to X XM, 
satellite radio and Pandora and iHearts of the world um, and the ability for them to buy ads directly to their consumers using our data as just a service of being a partner. So other than COVID, what's one of the biggest challenges you've had to overcome in standing up Festival Pass? I know there's tons, but what would you say is the biggest challenge? Um, it's the initial aggregation of the inventory because it's a chicken or egg, right? It's a, yeah. you know, it's if without the inventory, people don't want to sign up. But without the people, the people that have the inventory don't believe we're going to drive enough uh, volume. So it's it's the seesaw of, you know, we need we need some inventory, then we get some users, then we get more inventory, then we get more users, and it just keeps going back and forth. And so how did you how did you overcome that first kind of that big win? Yeah, a couple ways. Uh, first is just to get a few, you know, known entities on the platform. Uh, the second is work with some ticket aggregators. Um, so we, we have one relationship where um, just the one relationship itself brings thousands of events onto the platform. So through an API, we're getting their inventory and just reselling their inventory. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, what's it, I mean, what's it basically built in then? Uh, Technology-wise? Yeah. Yeah. Just so, uh, interested. Happy to share. Um, so we're based on React, React Native. I don't know if you know that code base. Um, so for me, it was super important coming out of MoviePass. Um, we had a, an iOS development team, an Android development team, a web app development team, uh, you know, about 40, 40 developers all working across the board, and it took forever to get anything done. Whereas with a React Native platform, it's the same code base across uh, iOS, Android, and web. Um, yes, there's some differences, and yes, there's some tweaks across the different uh, platforms, but that was the first piece. Um, and tell me if this gets too techy or too... No, too, I love it. You know, fun. The second thing is the problem with React is it is hard to be SEO-friendly with React because uh, React is a component-based system, and it doesn't render pages that are um, uh, trackable or scannable for Google. Um, but of course, whenever you have really cool technologies that have problems, people figure out the problems. So there's a, there's a great product called Gatsby, Gatsby Cloud, and Gatsby re-renders the React pages so they're uh, crawlable by Google. That's a, it, I love watching how things build like that. And, you know, one problem, as, again, one, one major technical problem becomes a whole industry or a whole company for somebody. Um, and so, by the way, failed as well, right? So M MoviePad is no longer around. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, that's, uh, I was, you know, joking that uh, there's a book out that John Bolton uh, yeah. wrote called. Uh, in the room where it happened, yeah. The room where it happened. I, I was in the room where it happened for, uh, for MoviePass. It was uh, get, getting that chance to sit and watch so many great decisions they made and a few very distinct um, wrong ones. Um, that that effectively brought it to 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 what the eventual story tells. Um, so that was it was a great company that you know at its height had three and a half million subscribers, five hundred million in revenue, and it was uh, it was theirs to lose, and some strategic decisions lost it. Yeah, it was a great idea, but I think I think things like that end up inevitably shaking consumer confidence as well. So. There's certainly things to overcome. We're going to take a, a break right here and we'll come back with our final segment. With that, you're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back in the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon final segment as we're rounding the bases, coming on home. But uh, Ed, we we were kind of teasing that on the on the the end of the last segment there, talking about Movie Pass, and that you were in the room where it happened. Um, so obviously, there's got to be some big lessons that you took from Movie Pass to apply to Festival Pass. What are what are one or two of those? Sure, sure. So you're right. There's many, and there's different pieces, but there's some that are more impactful than others. I think the core of it is um, the type of business model. Um, I made a distinct um, promise to myself that I would never start a business that um, when I asked a consumer to do more of what I'm asking them to do and they do it, then I lose money. Um, So meaning that I want people to engage more, not engage less. Uh, And the the basic core of the MoviePass model was you pay a certain month uh, fee per month and you can go to unlimited movies. But the problem is that only that works in software where your incremental cost of goods sold isn't isn't much for every additional consumer. Um, in MoviePass's world, they didn't own the inventory. In, in a Festival Pass, we don't own the inventory either. Um, so you can't build a model where you have to keep paying the cost of goods sold when you're not getting incremental revenue from an actual transaction. So the way we've done it. Yeah, you you were going to say something. No, I just so the the intent it was like a nineteen ninety nine subscription, but I could go to forty movies a month if I wanted to, right? That that's essentially what you're saying. So yeah, the the model in in that world is you know seventy percent of the people don't go, uh, and thirty percent of the people do go, and they over abuse it, and somehow in the middle you end up with a profit margin. But the problem is is 
when it's priced too low, you can't, you can't generate a gross margin. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and over time, I think they thought with scale, they would have more pricing power to get bigger discounts from the movie theaters and others, but uh, it just, just didn't work out. Um, but with Festival Pass, and that's why we have the credit-based model, we learned a lot from a company called ClassPass. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I've heard of it. Yeah, so ClassPass, uh, you know, they kind of pioneered this credit-based model in, in the way it works today. Um, they also had all the same problems MoviePass did up until about four years ago, and they switched over to a credit-based model. And all it does is it enables um, every time a transaction happens, there's a gross margin. So if somebody goes to a concert or an event or a festival on Festival Pass, we will make some money. Um, you know, we have a, a target margin that we want to get and we get that with, uh, on average across the board. Um, but we might make less of a margin on a really popular festival and we might make more of a margin on one that needs to send bodies to it. Makes total sense. So outside of all of the different experiences, what's some of the best advice you've ever received? Oh, wow. That's a, it's a a big question. Um, I think... I don't know if it'd be advice, but learnings over time. Um, and I think it's really um, integrity over speed. Um, and I saw that a little bit, and I'm not here to pay a movie pass, but I saw their desire to grow fast, um, kind of put some kinks into building some infrastructure. Um, and I've, I have learned lessons from other entrepreneurs I highly respect that have always said, you know, hold true to your core, um, your core mission and your core uh, company values uh, and make sure that filter is looked at on every decision. Uh, even if there's some pot of gold that looks like you can get to quicker, if you go down a path, it often leads to the, you know, the wrong pot of gold. <laughs> for sure. So what about uh, uh, do, do a pitch for festival pass and then leave the, the listeners with some final comments. Sure. So, so anybody that's ever wanted to experience, uh, you know, uh, community and, and live events um, in any capacity, whether it's a concert, a, a film, where we will have movies actually in the app at some point, um, theater, sports, all the above, uh, even just a whiskey tasting or a wine tasting. There's really something for everybody. Um, and the first thing you can just go ahead and join FestivalPass.com for free. Um, you become a free member, and eventually when you want to upgrade to get credits to go to something, you just can upgrade to one of the paid plans. Um, but you'll never pay more than you would if you went direct and you'll never pay a ticketing fee. That's awesome. And so final comments, final thoughts for the, the audience. Um, I just, uh, keep optimistic, uh, events and life will come back to quote unquote normal, the new normal, I think we should say. So, uh, you know, I, I think all of us just need to hold steadfast in our pursuit of, kindness and happiness and joy and we'll eventually get to the other side so you've bought and sold or you've created and sold how many companies so far um i would say two real exits one partial exit um so they all, they all come during different times so and I, so what's been kind of your prevailing theme through throughout all those different each time you create a company what what's part of that culture that comes with ed vincent that says this is this is the way my company is going to work um well i think over time that that evolves right so uh so technology is an underpinning data is an underpinning so you know when i started this company it, it was the core it had to be a data-driven organization um and it had to be 
um, something that was passionate, gross margin positive, and people culturally lead with kindness and gratitude. And that's been kind of the prevailing theme. And what are some of the other companies, if you can say, some of the other companies that you created and exited? Yeah, yeah. So the first one was called City Stuff. It was 1999. I sold it in 2001. It was a, it was a, we sold things that made cities famous. It was before Google existed. So a lot of these, you know, Junior's Cheesecake from Brooklyn, New York shipped overnight. New York City Pizza shipped overnight. Uh, you know, Benet's from New Orleans shipped overnight. Um, so it became a logistics company before everybody actually had their own website. <laughs> uh, so that was back then. Uh, then I had my agency all the, throughout the 2000s. Um, that that wasn't necessarily sold, but uh, that you know, back in when 2008 came about, you know, we were we had about 70 people in the agency, and people stopped spending a lot of money. So I had to kind of uh, evolve that company, um, but it evolved to a software as a service business uh, in the franchise multi-unit space. We basically had one platform that would feed into social, into a website, into uh, other messaging aspects. Um, and we sold that in 2014. And then um, I had uh, the consultancy that still exists today. I'm still a partner in a consultancy called Predict Analytics. Um, uh, it just was only uh, at once Festival Pass started, I went full-time at Festival Pass and held on to some equity and Predict. And, uh, and actually I did give some of it back to some of the, the, the current partner there. So Ed, we certainly appreciate you've been very, very open, vulnerable, honest with us. Uh, and I appreciate the transparency in which you talked with us today. Thank you for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And so the, the, is there a website though to go see? Obviously there's an app, Festival Pass, but if, if people are trying to find more information, how do they do that? Yeah, it is, it is exactly that, festivalpass.com. Outstanding. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today, Ed. And, uh, you know, I'm going to go take a look at the platform when we're done. We'll, we'll, we'll go see. Watch for the sign up. You say it's coming through. I'm looking for it. <laughs> Outstanding. So uh, next week, we're going to have Tyler Dickerhoof on, who uh, is, it does a mobile app. Uh, really talks about impact driven leadership. So, growth and leadership skills, development site, um, and really works with people to try to, to drive a bigger impact uh, in their leadership style. So super excited to have uh, Tyler on with us. That's next week. As always, you can hit me on social media. You can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Instagram. It's always Rick A. Morris. Uh, you can reach out to me at rick at rickamorris.com. If you know somebody that you think would make a great guest on the work-life balance, or you just want to reach out and talk to us about what you heard from Ed or a takeaway from Ed, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, otherwise, always on all the different podcast networks, we appreciate you guys tuning in every Friday or wherever you listen to this program. And until next Friday, we'll talk. Actually, next Friday being, uh, no, next Friday, we, we do have a show. Then, then uh, July 3rd is a, a replay. But uh, looking forward to having everybody with us very soon. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 